This show is sponsored by Duncan Cold K Cups. Duncan Cold K Cup pods were specially crafted for cold coffee. It's convenient and tasty. You brew over ice, straight out of the Keurig coffee maker. You just brew over ice and you sip them in seconds. You're going to love these Duncan Cold K Cups. Enjoy the bold, smooth Duncan taste you know and love. Find Duncan Cold Coffee in the roasted coffee aisle. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, yeah, sure, what's the catch? Well, uh, there isn't one. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. The team here at Literally has tried Mint Mobile out, and this is the review. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proved to have excellent coverage with no drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. It was great. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan, for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash literally. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hello. Oh my God. Hi. So everybody is wearing a hat except for me. Uh, because you have great hair. Always have. <laughs> Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Literally Rob Loger. You know, I, I get to talk to so many amazing people that sometimes I like to revisit an old conversation that you might have missed. So last year, I got to sit down with, first of all, an absolute legend and also universally accepted as the nicest man in show business, Henry Winkler. I mean, the guy was the Fonz. The Fonz. There was no bigger icon, idol, if you're old enough to remember it. Um, and now he's relevant as ever because he stars in the amazing show, Barry, which is literally one of the most groundbreaking, amazing shows on TV. It's in its, I think, fourth and final season on HBO, right the second. I, I, I love this man. Um, we work together on Parks and Recreation. He's, he's the greatest. So um, here is my conversation from last year with the amazing Henry Winkler. I thought that was a doc. You have a Dr. Fauci pillow behind you. Yes, this is, uh, it is uh, Fauci on the couch. Love it. That's what it was called. And uh, the uh, Mr. Sanchez is the artist. What's it say on the back? Is it got an inspirational uh, quote? It says, it is what it is. Now, what are all the books behind you? It's, it's, it's like a, you have a library going on. All right. These are the children's books that I write with. Lynn Oliver. Yes, of course. We have just completed our 37th. Now, I was one, th this could be a um, apocryphal story. I was once told, you don't ever want to write a children's book. Oh, Rob, you have no idea what they put you through, what you can write, what you can't write. Is that true? Is there some sort of guideline for writing children's books? Oh, uh, Rob, I'm telling you, uh, I didn't even know. First of all, I didn't know I could write a book. Second of all, without Lynn, I wouldn't have written a book. Third of all, I wrote what I knew, which was a failing eight-year-old. Mm -hmm. And the only thing, we got notes from the, uh, the editor, this should be scarier. I think the kids need to understand this. Um, but 
we wrote what we wanted to write. And it's based on your growing up dyslexic and not knowing it, correct? That's right. And, yes. And, and, you know, being resourceful and hopefully funny and just never getting with the program. Isn't it amazing that in the era that we grew up, that there was no, that no one would catch that? Nobody. You'd be like, oh, well, he's slow. Hey, he doesn't doesn't really read well, or whatever the hell it was. But no, it wasn't even in the the consciousness to look for that. It, honestly, even today, the schools do not want to recognize it for the most part because it costs more money. Oh, right. The parents are embarrassed. Their children are not up to snuff. The children act out. And um, sometimes become unruly because of ADD or frustration or embarrassment. You know, I was the, ca- the class clown. So it happens today. I mean, just how out of, let's say, out of 100 kids today? One out of five. One out of five. 20% of the population testing in the third grade determines the number of prison cells that are built. Because 56% of everyone incarcerated has some sort of learning challenge and they kind of fell through the cracks. What if you could uh, have a magic wand? What's what would be the, the fix? You know what? There is no fix because it is all DNA, it's wiring, it's, it's uh, hereditary, mm-hmm. it's passed on. Maybe it skips a generation and then comes back again. So it's, it's a matter of if I could fix something, this is such a good question. If I could fix something, it would be tolerance. Why do we make such demons out of people who are just trying to live their life? That's what I would change. Um, tolerance. It is true. It is true. It's like, if we all just worried about what was right in front of us, I got enough to worry about in my life before I have to worry about everybody else's. How, how is your family? You know what? Thank you for asking. They're, uh, they're great. My wife, Cheryl, is uh, crazy and lovely and wonderful, and uh, we're great. We had our 30th wedding anniversary this year. Oh, congratulations. When? Uh, it was in July, and we had a, a, a very big party, and it was very fun. And um, my boys, uh, John, Owen, um, is a writer on Lone Star and just sold a show to Netflix. Oh, wow. And uh, Matthew passed the bar uh, and is now working oh, wow. in working in a, a VC. You know, he's using Isn't his... that great? Yeah, so he's like, one has a real job in the real world and the other is, you know, in our phony baloney world. But it's all good. They're great. But listen, uh, I'm we're watching 1883 right now and I just wrote a fan letter to Taylor Sheridan. Oh, of course. Amazing. He's amazing. Oh, my God. You've seen Wind River, right? Yes. Have you ever done a Western? Yes. I produced a show for MGM Television, maybe 24 episodes, called The Dead Man's Gun. Really? Whoever picked up this gun in 1874, their life was changed forever. Wow. In the episode I was in, I was a button salesman. I found this gun. I drove into the town or rode into the town. uh, And all of a sudden, I became the feared sheriff of that town. It's a great concept. Until I finally got rid of the gun. And then somebody else found it on the the side of the road, picked it up and their adventure story. How Westerns are so much fun. I've done one. It was with the late, great Bill Paxton, and we played the James brothers, Jesse James and Frank James. And um, I love that there there are so many Westerns out out there. And this this whole, what I love about um, uh, Yellowstone and all these is like, I was just reading research on it. You know, it's the biggest show on television. And in Nielsen uh, delineates the markets of the United States into categories. So there's the A markets, the B markets, the C, and then a D market is the A markets are San Francisco, New York, Chicago, right? And then it goes on down. 
for the first, I think, two seasons of Yellowstone, it was not in the top 50 mm-hmm. in any quote unquote A market. Mm-hmm. And in the D markets, it was explosively huge. So this is something that grew from truly the heartland and now is is made its way into the the zeitgeist it's like the, the fancy people can't ignore it now <laughs> well let me tell you i i didn't watch it for the longest time we powered through four seasons couldn't wait to get back to them each time we uh yep. you know we went for our day job <laughs> came back in the evening to watch and I wanted to be on that ranch. Oh, don't you? I want. I mean, nothing has made me want to wear a fleece vest more. And Costner is so great. I've always been a huge fan. He's my neighbor up here in Santa Barbara. But will you give him my warmest respect for that? Oh, I will. And how about the, uh, um, what was her name? Uh, Emily Riley is that her name? Yes. Holy mackerel! It's just a great show. I mean. By the way, your show Barry is pretty goddamn good on a whole other. I mean, I'm I'm obsessed with it. How did you end up on that show? I was in a uh, a meeting with my business manager and my wife. We were estate planning. Always always fun. Yeah, it's so fun to estate plan. Oh my god. Just the best. And then you have that meeting with your grown children and they all say, "What is he getting? What is she getting?" <laughs> You're all getting the same, yes. but we're still here. Thank you very much. So anyway, uh, we've left the building. We're driving down Ventura Boulevard uh, in the in North Hollywood of uh, on the other side of, of Los Angeles. I get a call. You're on a short list. Bill Hader. Bill Hader mm. wants to meet you doing a show for HBO. HBO. Mm. Okay. I said, I only have one question. Is Dustin Hoffman? on that short list. Because if he is, I'm not going in. They said, no, he isn't. I said, okay. Weeks go by. Weeks? I'm thinking my name has slipped off the fulcrum. I am no longer in the mix. I get a call. Bill Hader. Hey, I just wrote two scenes. Want to come in and play? Not really, Bill, because... If you're calling me because the first one was good, I'd like to leave it at that. Yeah, exactly. I said, sure. <laughs> I go in. Weeks go by. Get a call. Would you like to be in the show? <gasps> yeah. And we just finished the third season. Good Lord. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how long a process takes? Oh, yeah. The One of the prerequisites, aside from talent... And being able to memorize and being somewhat um, friendly, patience. Yeah, because you never know when the phone call is going to happen. You know, but I'll tell you something, Rob. You, that's another important thing. You just said something that's great. You can't sit by the phone. You've got to get on with your life. There's part of you that goes, well, I'd like to leave the house, but maybe... Right. You gotta, you gotta, otherwise you will disintegrate in anger and distress and you will just, you'll petrify like wood in the forest. It's that thing of, if you really want the phone to ring, go out and create something on your own. That's right. That may or may not get done and may, right. or, may or may not be a conflict in the phone. And also make sure you plan a, and, and hopefully better yet, prepay for a vacation because then the phone is definitely going to ring and it's going to be Steven Soderbergh saying, Hey, I got like a 10 day thing. Do you want to do it? And you're like, well, (laughs) right. Isn't that the way it always happens? It always is, except he's never called me. There's plenty of time, kid. You're just a young puppy. I have a question for you. Hurry up. Back in the day, I, when my, I had my very first agent ever. Who was that? It was the Anne Wright agency. And they used to, and they were like, I think they were like, Henry Winkler is a client. Were you ever a client? Because they they sold me on I you. I was a client. My very first agent was Joan Scott. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Joan Scott. I'm so sorry. It was Joan Scott. It was writers and artists. I'm sorry. It was Joan yes. Scott. It was Joan Scott. When I was at Yale, I was dating a girl from Louisville, Kentucky. Margie Castleman. 
She was on Broadway or off-Broadway. She had an agent and said, I'll introduce you. And in my, one of my first lessons of show business, they said, well, Henry's not with her anymore, but she still gets the commissions on Happy Days, which made me laugh. She had a, an assistant in New York City, John Kimball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So John Kimball said to me, if you want to be known to New York, stay here. If you want to be known to the world, my instinct is it's time for you to go to California. Wow. And I had $1,000 from commercials that I had saved, got on American Airlines. A week later, I landed Happy Days with seven lines. It's an insane wow. story. And, and Fonzie at that point was a day, a day player on the show? Being uh, uh, a workaholic, I couldn't go out and have fun on the other four work days. I sat in my apartment and, uh, <laughs> you know, I could only play Saturday and Sunday. That's amazing. So you never, you never properly embraced the uh, L.A. out-of-work actor where you go get a Jamba Juice and you run the Santa Monica stairs and then maybe you get a nice coffee somewhere and okay, you get on a I bike. Can and honestly go- say, Rob, I have never run the Santa Monica stairs. I passed by it once <laughs> and felt really tight. <laughs> Your calves tightened up just looking at it. Oh, man. Well, you know, um, Gary Marshall was very important to my career as well. Uh, and as and I know, he, he, you know, I mean, listen, he, he made you in many ways, for sure. Um, without a doubt. Absolutely. I would never be here without him. Did you, pr- was Bobby Hoffman casting for Gary? Oh my God, he was. He brought Robin Williams to the set on a Wednesday when we shoot on Friday. No one wanted to play Mork for Mork. Bobby brought uh, this new kid he found. Wow. Robin Williams. Bobby was one of my earliest fans. Casting director at Paramount, but did all of Gary's stuff. and. People forget, I mean, because, you know, um, Gary had such a great movie career, particularly late in life. But, you know, he owned, owned network television. Yes, that's right. Owned it. Did you always want to be an actor? Yes. From the time I was eight. Mm. And where did you grow up? Ohio. Dayton. Dayton, Ohio. And um, saw a community theater. um, Went with my parents. It was Oliver. There were kids in it. And it was like, I was, it was like a bad, out of a bad movie, transfixed lightning bolts. Yeah. The choir of angels. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. And my parents were, were just like, yeah, kid, whatever. I I don't think anybody took it. Why would you take it seriously? Some eight year old in Dayton says they want to be a serious actor. Nobody did that. But here you are. And yet, and yet it all happened. You know, it just, it just dawned on me that you and I work together yep. on Parks and Recreation, Parks and Recreation on Foreman Avenue in Toluca Lake, where I lived for 20 years, um, starting in 1980 with my family. I remember your home well, and I remember working with you. It was great. We had, um, you played John Ralphio, uh, his father. Yes. The great John Ralphio, Ben Schwartz, who I've had on the podcast and is a genius. And Jenny Slate, I've also had on the podcast. Those two, how funny. Do you remember you and I were having like a regular-ish scene and those two lunatics were popping up behind you? Do you remember how, how, how amazing those two were? I'm telling you, my entire um, reason for living at that moment was just to keep a straight face. Right? Yes. Uh, what about, uh, have you, uh, Ben Schwartz, one of the great improvisers oh, yeah. of America, yep. invited me to be at the grant uh, the, the stand up citizens brigade, upright citizens brigade. Yep. Right. And I stupidly said, sure, I'll come to your night of improv. And then I watched them. And then I thought, I am so out of my league. Oh, I'm I'm obsessed with this because I've always sort of had this fantasy of I should I should drop by Upright Citizens Brigade. Is it 
Do you just do you just feel like you're trying to catch a high speed freight train? You know what? That is exactly the feeling. There is um, the back of the stage is a brick wall, and I literally stood against the brick wall, trying uh, and no hyperbole, trying to fade into it because I'm watching these masters and they're. I don't even know how they are that lightning speed coming up with off the cuff. It it was crazy. When you're doing Barry and it's so well written and you guys have great characters and you have somebody like Hader, who's, you know, also great, great improvisation. How much do you play? Because, you know, in Parks and Rec, as you remember, we would do, we would do the scene as written. It was always really well written. And maybe you'd add a wrinkle here or there, but then you'd do a take where you just went for it and you did whatever the hell came to your mind. They called them the fun runs. Do you do anything like that? What's the process like? Uh, The process is it's written beautifully. They, um, both Bill and Alec are so clear about what it is they want. And in structure comes freedom. Yes. I ad lib. At the moment, because it just comes to me and answering uh, from, you know, my character talking to the other people in the scene. And, you know, it's in when you see Bill laugh, Mm. you're acting with him and he starts to break. Yeah, I love that. I love when you can see, you know, that well, when Amy Poehler would direct Parks, um, you would just hear her cackling. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great feeling. It really is. Well, you know, no two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas, vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activity allow for such an infinite number of different travel experiences. I mean, I love Texas. I go like this, the people of Dallas, the culture of Austin, and I love any time I get there. If you're a beach person, well, you can go have fun in the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're a rugged vacation type, there's campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, golf is nuts there, foodies, you got your Texas barbecue and live music in Austin. And of course, if you're into the cowboy scene, you can certainly find it there. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom trip matched to their own unique interests. So visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Hey, everybody. Join Macy's and Girls, Inc. to empower a new generation of leaders Now, during Women's History Month, throughout March, you can help fund STEM and college and career readiness programs for girls when you donate online to Girls, Inc. or round up your purchase. Plus, shop women-owned and founded brands like Kaylee Cosmetics, New Face, and Better Not Younger. Learn more and celebrate the creative power of women now and all year round at Macy's.com slash purpose. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. You've always loved comedy, always been so funny. Um, I, when I was looking at my re- research, this tells you how, how, how network television has changed and how it truly was a palace of idiots for the most part back in the years. They didn't want Fonzie to wear a leather jacket. They, were, they, they put their foot down. They weren't having it. It was uh, over their dead bodies. They are not having a character wear a leather jacket. Is that right? It's that is true. That is true. Why? Because they thought I would be associated with crime. And then Gary Marshall went to ABC 
and said, you know, he could be hurt if he is riding his motorcycle. And they said, okay, he can wear his leather jacket when he is in a scene with the motorcycle. Gary then went downstairs and from the phone booth uh, in ABC, because there were no cell phones, really. Yeah. He called the writer's room at Paramount Studios. He said, never write a scene without the bike again. That's why you see me wheeling it into Arnold's or it's in my apartment or it's, you know, in, against um, the wall, broken apart in uh, the Cunningham household. OK, I, there's so much to unpack there. My favorite is it was on the air in the 70s and 80s. Right. Okay. So you mean to tell me in 1979, if I saw a man with a leather jacket on, I was like, oh, he's going to rob me. He's wearing a leather yeah. jacket. Right. That's what the network's logic was. Literally, that was their logic. And then it became the, the symbol. Every child uh, had a plethora of jacket. But you, but, but, the, but the, just before we move on from this, because it's too good. The the first appearances of Fonzie, you're in like not a madras jacket, but you're in like a, no, a cloth windbreaker, McGregor golf jacket, a golf jacket. It's the best. So let's write this tough street guy because you know those guys are just all over the golf courses in the fifties. <laughs> this is the tortured logic of of network television. It's a little better, but like. There was um there was a while on CBS when no one could have any facial hair, no matter what they were playing. If they were playing the Unabomber, no facial hair. Yeah, it, it's amazing. You know the um the executives are they're such a a an interesting breed of human beings. Some of them are great with story. Most of them are filled with fear. Because they only last, I think, about 19 months. Wow, Jesus. You know, there are some who have gone over um, uh, generations, but for the most part, they come and go like, uh, yeah. you know, party water. When I had Ron Howard on the show, too, he and, you know, Ron directed me in a pilot presentation, not even a pilot, and um, it was called Thrills and Chills. And we, Ron and I always laugh about it. It's a miracle that we're both in the business after that debacle. Um, but he was very, he you know, very sweet about you, loves loves you. And it's, it's the fact that you two were able to negotiate um, the, the show turning into the Fonzie show, which it literally did. And they were, they wanted to call it, I think, the Fonzie show at one point. Yeah, I, I, I literally, they asked me about it. And I said, no, thank you, because it is such a slap in the face. To all of the people that are part of the ensemble, I am a member of. Mm -hmm. And without them, the Fonz would not exist. So we're fine. It's, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Right. Was there a moment where you realized that that character had become as iconic as it was? Because I, I grew up watching the show. I watch it every night, every Saturday or Friday, whichever it was on. I can't remember now. But. I mean, hey, that was, I mean, every kid in the world was saying it ever. And it was just, it was the first breakout character I ever experienced as an audience member. A came from what, as I worked through it and wanting to be very cool and very contained, mm -hmm. A, I used it to reduce language. Ooh. Hey, look at that. She's beautiful. Hey. Hey, I'm hungry. So I could reduce paragraphs to a sound. Mm. I was asked to come uh, to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, to sign autographs for the, the newspaper there for, at the mall. There were 3,000 kids in 50s clothes no. at the airport. And I thought, oh, my God, there's a party going on. And they said, that party is for you. That's when I knew, wow, something's going on. That's insane. And everybody at Halloween dressing like the Fonz. Yeah. Um, in our business, there's a phrase called jump the shark. 
Yes. Um, most people I'm assuming listening to this podcast are interested enough in show business to have heard it or know what it is. And the theory is, is that it's when a show in the long life of the show takes things too far, never to really recover, um, they've jumped the shark. Right. Jumping the shark comes from when Fonzie jumped the shark. Yes, that's right. On water skis. On water skis. So it's a real thing. It happened. You did it. You, I mean, you've done so many things in your career, but like to be responsible for not only one catchphrase, a, but the other jump the shark is amazing. And hey, let, Rob, let's not forget. Whoa. Oh, of course. Whoa. That's right. Hey, get over here. Whoa. Whoa. I watched the jump the shark sequence yesterday. The yeah. whole sequence, not, not highlights. The sequence as it plays out on television. I don't know if you've seen it recently, but first of all, it is vintage network television in the 70s. Right. They keep cutting to people going, he's headed towards the ramp. By the way, you can see you headed towards the ramp. He's about to jump. You know he's about to jump because you're clearly there to do that. He's going to go over the shark. Like they keep cutting to the members of the cast talking about what you're actually doing and you can see you doing it. It's unbelievable. And by the way, it goes on forever and they keep cutting to the shark, but the shark, you're water skiing at Paradise Cove in Malibu. It's clearly Paradise Cove, Malibu, where everything was filmed. By the way, I grew up during that time at Paradise Cove on Point Doom. Everything shot there. It was magic. But the shark, when they cut to the underwater, it's clearly in the Caribbean. Right. I mean, there's fan coral. It, it bears no resemblance. to it, it's, um, it's an amazing, if you haven't seen it, it's a great sequence. And you, what I, jumping the shark, I've seen that famous footage a time, but what I'd never seen is that amazing shot where you ski out of your own skis on the beach. What the hell? So I learned to water ski in Mayo Pack, New York, one hour outside the city. My parents lived above their means. We had a summer house. <laughs> Amazing. All my friends had boats. We went water skiing. Then I became a water ski instructor at Blue Mountain Camps in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Amazing. So now we're doing this with the water skiing. And at a certain moment, I let go of the rope. I ski up on the sand. I step out of the skis. Half the smile on my face is Henry going, I did it. Oh, my God, I did it. The other half of the smile on my face is the Fonz going, I did it. All right. That's yeah. All right. That's good. Get over here. It is absolutely mind blowing. I can. And, and my big my big trick is that I can start sitting on a dock. That's a good one. I can't do that. Yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm a pretty good water skier, but I'm not, I'm not that good. Do you, you didn't do the jump, did you? No. That was a, uh, somebody from Florida, uh, a stuntman. They would not let me do that. Yeah, I can't imagine it. By the way, you look better doing this ski up to the beach move, which is clearly you, than the stuntman does. The stuntman, he made it look like Fonzie. I mean, he does not look like a professional water. It looks like a dude that tried to jump a shark. Did Gary Marshall, can you remember him pitching it? He's like, we're going to do a thing. It is a shark and it'll be good and you'll be the that. I mean, did Gary pitch you the shark thing? You know what? It sounded very much like that. I bet it did. And probably everything that he said. And the, the, you know, what is amazing about this man that was so important in our life is that when you would go and visit him, he finally bought a theater mm -hmm. in the Valley here in Los Angeles. And he had an office with all his memorabilia and he would tape up as he was talking to you. He would uh, ace bandage his knees, <laughs> hips, because he never wanted to stop playing softball. That's right. But out the door, down the street were young writers and actors and directors who just he had made an appointment with in order to give them advice. Yep. He was so generous. 
He gave my wife her first job as a makeup artist. He was at my wedding and very, very small wedding. Um, he, when I got Wayne's World, it was my first sort of, you know, big, serious comedy. Gary did a free rewrite of all my dialogue for me. Oh my God. Of course, then when I, I never told Lorne Michaels that, but I just used the ideas as my own and I, cu- I couldn't get Lorne to go for any of them. Maybe I should have told them they were Gary Marshall's free rewrites and they would have been in the movie, but such a generous guy. The amazing story of him losing a fortune with his business manager and then gaining a fortune back. Yeah. It's just amazing. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm one of the luckiest things in my life outside of my family and finding fly fishing is Gary Marshall. I want to talk to you about fly fishing. Um, I love, I love fishing. I've only been fly fishing a couple of times cause I'm never in the areas where they do it, but whenever I've done it, it's, it's amazing. How, how did you find it and what about it appeals to you? My lawyer, I was his first client. Jesus. He said, I'm going to take you down the Smith River in Montana with Stacy, your wife. And for a week, we floated the Smith River. Mm. I didn't catch much at all. I had no idea about the technique. But no pun intended, we were hooked. (laughs) And since then, we have gone every summer at least twice. Now in Idaho. um, And it's just, I don't know, it just is like a washing machine for your brain. The only adult book I've ever written is about everything that I learned from fly fishing that I applied to life and uh, then photographs that I took, you know, while I was on the river. Oh, beautiful photograph. That's by the way. And the, the title is one of my favorite titles of a book ever. The title is. I never met an idiot on the river. <laughs> because people who fly fish are just incredible human beings, men, women, children. It's amazing. I have very good beginner's luck fishing. At our lodge, um, which is uh, um, the lodge on the Palisades in, in Idaho, if you catch all the species that day in a row, mm-hmm. uh, you get a T-shirt. Damn, nobody gave me a T-shirt, but I did do it. Now, on a another tangent, you did you do the... Um, I, I want to make sure I got this information right. Catherine Hepburn's last project, am I crazy i did it was truman capote's uh one christmas uh she wanted to talk about john wayne i held her lines on cardboard just under my chin amazing but it just didn't matter just katherine hepburn that was an honor not not only did you work with you i knew there's something i want to ask you you gotta tell me about directing burt reynolds so I'm directing Burt Reynolds and a uh, Norman Golden, a wonderful young actor who's seven years old. And we're at Burt Reynolds' house. There's a party before we start shooting. And uh, we're waiting for him. And as he's walking down this staircase in uh, Clearwater, Florida, he said, Winkler, I just got off the phone with Ron Howard. He said, I can fire you at any time. (laughs) I said, <laughs> I looked up at him and I said, sir, could you let me know kind of soon? Because I've got another film lined up right <laughs> after this and I could start it sooner. All of a sudden he was quiet. Now, one day he comes to me. We're doing a scene. And I, out of the blue, halfway through 65 days of shooting, he said, I'm directing the kid. Oh, no. Okay. I, I'm not sure how that works, but okay. And I whisper to Bert. I said, after the young man says, but the fish is cold. Let him take a breather and then, rep- then go on and, and, and finish the sentence. 
he turns, he says, hey, when you say when the fish is cold, stop and then finish the line. I am directing the child through Bert. Amazing. Now we're in, this is one of my favorite stories of my career. We're in looping. You go into the studio and you mouth the line again so it fits in the lips uh, uh, of your um, performance so it's clean of all other sound. Bert said to me, you just tell me to go faster or slower. I'll know what to do. That's how you direct me. I said, okay. He does a line. I said, Bert, do it a little faster. He is drinking a small bottle of water. He takes this bottle, which I don't believe is filled with water, Mm -mm. and throws it across the looping stage and turns to me and he said, if you weren't so short, I'd rip your head right off your shoulders. And I said, Bert, I have never been so happy to be this short in my life. (laughs) He said, all right. And then all of a sudden he was a lamb. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Has there been any other legends that you've crossed paths with? I sat right next to the late, great James Stewart at a, uh, and his beautiful wife. Um, and they wanted to fix me up with their daughter. Wow. And he would lean over to me and he said, uh, uh, do, do you know, do you know who that is? I've, I kind of forgot. And I said, oh, yes, that's uh, Robert Mitchum. Oh, yes, that's uh, Claire Danes. And he literally, I literally walked him through who was coming into the room as we sat at the table. Oh, what a great, you, you were his prompter. I was. I, it was I, one of the great honors of my life because you know, it's a wonderful life, let alone everything else. Mm. Jimmy Stewart, Robert Mitchum, on the other hand, sat at our table, came in, sat down. He was so drunk or something mm-hmm. that he was using words of the language, just not in any order you could understand. Oh, so we're walking down the street. Ron Howard and I are walking down the avenue on Paramount Lot. This the side of the of the lot that was at one time Desi Lu. Yes. All of a sudden, leaning against the doorframe of the um, of the mill where they built all the sets for Paramount movies was Robert De Niro. Ooh. 
Ron and I stopped and we said, we got to say hello. We got to say, we don't want to bother him though, but we got to say hello. So we walk up and we introduce ourselves and go, my God, it is such a pleasure to meet you. I get really tongue tied. I love meeting people that I love watching. And I said to him, the first movie I ever saw in Hollywood when I was here that I was invited to was Mean Streets. And I said, Mr. De Niro, you use the word fuck better than anybody I have ever heard in my life. (laughs) Cut to 45 years later. He's in The Intern, directed by Nancy Myers, who is a friend of my wife's. We go in New York to the premiere. We go to the party. He's there. Robert De Niro is there. I walk up to him and I said, Robert, I'm so sorry. I've got to take a selfie with you. I've got to be like every fan has ever been with me. I have the the selfie. We took the selfie together and he said, you said I use the word fuck then better than anybody in the world. I said, he remembers what I said. Wow. Wow. I couldn't believe it. Did you ever do the Kenley players. I feel like you did. Yes. That's, I was going to say that when you said you grew up in Dayton, Dayton was one of the cities. Now as an eight-year-old Rob Lowe. Yes. Who knows nothing about anything with the Kenley players. It was like the Oscars. It was like, you could not believe that the Fonz, Henry Winkler was coming to Memorial hall to do under the yum, yum tree or whatever the hell it was. Right. And, it was and called room service. Room service. It was the old farce room service directed by Jeffrey Bleckner, who was a student at the Yale School of Drama with me. You know, my brother Chad, who I know you know. I do know. Chad was doing a documentary on John Kenley and went to interview him. And John uh, was not comfortable telling his story and going on camera and then passed away like two weeks later and it never got done. But I'm obsessed with John Kenley. I want that story of, of his life, what he faced, what he did. Talk about a trailblazer and, and just the notion of all of these ginormous, ginormous stars running, not you, I'm sure, but running roughshod through the Midwest in the summers. I mean, unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It really was. There were three cities uh, uh, Columbus, Dayton, and I've, oh, a uh, Warren, Warren, Ohio. of all places, of all places, Warren, you know, Ohio. and they were barns and they were packed to the gills to the gills. And it was, it was a wonderful, um, experience. And he would come in and like a rocket, he could kick his leg over his head. And then he would say, cut 20 minutes and walk out. That was him producing. Meeting him in some big office at Memorial Hall in Dayton, Ohio. It's like a 15, 2000 seat cavernous barn. And he looked like, I th- my memory was he looked like Cesar Romero as, as the Joker in um, Batman. And he was perfectly nice, but like, I'd never seen anyone like him. Yeah. Oh my God. And so you did, you did one Kenley, pl- one show that one show, service. one show and toured. Um, my friend from drama school, Mark Flanagan was in it. DD Khan was oh, in yes. it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember any, uh, anybody else, but Jeffrey Bleckner directed me for CBS. Henry Winkler meets Shakespeare. Ooh, I like that. That was, you know, and I have no business. I'm telling you now, honestly, I really have never done Shakespeare. Uh, I know my limitations. I'm so dyslexic. I can't get the iambic pentameter. I don't know. I can't. On our honeymoon, we went to England and we saw um, Stratford-on-Avon. We saw the Shakespearean company in England. and. I never heard Shakespeare like that in my life. It was like a conversation and I totally got what was going on. I had never heard it before and I knew I could not accomplish that. See, I think you'd be great. You may have, you may have trouble memorizing it, but I think you'd be awesome. You'll win the Tony for it. 
You do it and you <gasps> will win the Tony for it. I'm telling you. When do you, what's, what is the latest thing you, you, so, uh, you have season three is in the can. Yes. We're reshooting next week, a few scenes, and then we start season four, uh, somewhere in, uh, April. That's coming up quick. Yeah. And I did these in movies. One is called Family Squares. This is how it was done. I had a furry microphone that recorded when you pushed. I had three cell phones that were on tripods. I had a laptop, a square light. I walked around with this with the cell phone all over my house for the director of photography who was somewhere else because it was right in the middle of pandemic. I acted with Margot Martindale what? and Dowd, what? Judy Greer on the phone. She was sitting in some Winnebago in her, in her driveway. It was like crazy and crazy emotional talking to these people, not because of the experience, but the scenes. And it became a movie and it's going to come out sometime called Family Squares. I love that cast. Yeah. I love it. I'm a big fan of yours. Always th- loved you. You've always been Thank so you. nice to me and known your family. Well, that's not, that's not very difficult, is it? <laughs> You'd be surprised. Um, well, you're a lovely man. Um, and one of my favorite things about Parks and Rec was was working with, with you. I think you also were the doctor that told Ann Perkins and I that we were having a baby. You were a doctor, right? Yes. Yes. That's right. I delivered all of the babies on that show. Uh, I was I, I came for one episode and Michael Shore kept writing for me and I want to publicly thank Michael. He's the best. Yeah. He's a, we need to have, will you come on our Parks and Rec podcast? I, I do with Alan Yang and it's, it's a super fun podcast. And w- you're, when your character makes his first appearance, I would love to have you come tell all your stories about that. Okay. Excellent. Well, there you have it. That's my guy. I'm glad that uh, I was able to put this out again in case you guys missed um, talking to this amazing man, Henry Winkler. Um, I will be back next week with an all new episode of Literally. Don't forget to give us a great rating and review, by the way, if you're so inclined. And I will see you next week. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced by me, Nick Liao, with help from associate producer Sarah Begar, researched by Lisa Grawl. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross and myself at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Booking by Deirdre Dodd, music by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Literally with Rob Lowe. A Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.